Welcome to the MTO Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and joining me today is Mark Kaposky. Mark experienced multiple limb loss from flesh-eating disease that nearly killed him. A tech leader, Mark is thriving today, building businesses and contributing to tech and enjoying life with his family. Welcome to the show, Mark, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Todd. Thanks for having me. Great. Before you share your journey, perhaps tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, well, uh, I grew up in Toronto. Um, I've had uh, uh, the privilege to, uh, to live and work in uh, a lot of interesting places around the world. For the last 20 years, I've been uh, working on small to medium-sized, uh, what they call growth stage companies in technology, and I've had some wonderful experiences doing that. Um, I have a family. I have two kids, uh, a boy who's nine and a girl who's now, now 12. And um, you know, what can I say? Uh, life, is, life has been one big adventure for me. Now, um, going into your journey, your journey with amputation started about four years ago or three years ago. Maybe um, we can get into that. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, actually, uh, it, it pretty much was just two years ago. So I'm fairly new uh, that I, uh, uh, I got sick. And uh, that led to a just series of weeks and, and months in the hospital. And ultimately, um, uh, I had enough damage done that I needed to uh, go through a series of amputations. Never having been sick before, never having any kind of experience along these lines. So it literally came out of left field. Just going back to how this all started, it actually happened outside of Canada. So can you tell us that story? Absolutely. Uh, it was uh, just right around Valentine's Day in uh, 2019. I was uh, in Manhattan, which uh, was a place I went to fairly regularly for business. And there was a speaking engagement that I was at. And uh, I recall distinctly uh, that Monday of that week, I, I got up early to get on the airplane to fly down as I often did. And I, I sort of wasn't feeling great. Um, it had been a busy weekend. We'd been skiing. I was I'd done some training and some other stuff like that. But within about 48 hours, I'd become sufficiently ill that uh, my fever was spiking. I was in a hotel room. Um, I was, uh, you know, it, it got bad enough that I was sort of starting to fade in and out of consciousness. And uh, at some point I realized I was, I was in trouble. Uh, I was much sicker than I had initially expected to be. And uh, sort of Gatorade and Tylenol just wasn't, just wasn't cutting it. But mercifully, I was down with uh, one of my business partners uh, who, for some reason, just refused to fly home. It was time for us to go home, and I was going to stay because I was too sick to fly, and he decided to stay with me. And it was a, actually a big decision because, uh, you know, people later thought I probably would have simply expired in my hotel room had he not sort of, you know, physically realized that I was out of communication and and keyed into my room and called an ambulance and had me uh, moved uh, to uh, Mount Sinai West Hospital uh, in Manhattan. Uh, and then further went ahead to advocate rather strongly for me in this busy emergency room that was full of people with the flu, that there was something horribly, horribly wrong with me. And in addition to having a, um, a hysterically high fever, um, my leg, my left leg, uh, right the knee was in enormous pain. There were no outward signs of pain. There was no bruising. There was no cuts or, or, or 
lesions or anything like that. Just it, it was excruciatingly painful. And so after some time, um, uh, the uh, uh, the attending doctor decided perhaps that they needed to run more tests. They suspected something bad was happening. Um, my blood pressure was dropping. They were worried that I was starting to slip away and uh, they ran some tests. They figured out uh, that I had necrotizing fasciitis, also known as flesh eating disease. Um, I had a, there are several types. I had a type that tends to, um, that can get you sort of any time. It's a one in 10 million thing. It just happens. There's no real trigger other than, uh, you know, perhaps maybe you banged your knee or something and, and some bacteria in, in your body just wakes up. And um, it was bad enough that uh, before they wheeled me into, the, uh, into surgery to try to uh, halt the spread of this thing, uh, they called my wife and sort of informed me that, that I need to say goodbye. Um, and, and she was of course back in Toronto. She gets this call out of nowhere. Um, it's Thursday night, it's Valentine's day. And it's this doctor on the phone and you can just imagine what that call is like. And, uh, you know, I was relatively lucid for a couple of minutes and I was trying to be chipper. Um, but it was, uh, it was a strange thing to be handed a phone with that sort of look on the doctor's face. Like, look, you know, I think you can handle this fact. Um, this isn't good. You might want to you might want to say whatever you have to say now uh, to your to your loved ones. And I was like, wow, it's like that, is it? He's like, yeah, it's like that. So um, I did that. And then they wheeled me into uh, uh, a surgical suite. And that was the last thing I remembered for six weeks. Um, I was in a coma for a long time. After that, they had, uh, as it stands, uh, had to debride, which basically means cut away um, an enormous amount of flesh in my left leg. Um, pretty much half of it was gone, debrided right down to the bone practically. And uh, while that sounds horrible enough, that's actually not the problem. The problem was the septic shock. Um, when you get necrotizing fasciitis, and if you get a bad case as I did, it's the septic shock that kills you. Your body literally goes into shock, into a downward spiral, and there's no way they can pull you out. They just have to sort of fill you full of these drugs to try to keep your blood pressure up and hope that somehow your body finds its way out. And I was in septic shock sufficiently bad that it was touch and go for a month. And uh, at one point, I think the doctors uh, gave me a very low chance of uh, survival. I was in cascading organ failure, kidneys, liver, heart, lungs, everything was shutting down. Uh, they were worried that I had uh, potentially damaged my brain. And um, to make matters worse, the treatment for septic shock caused by the necrotizing fasciitis is to pump you full of a drug class called inotropes, which keeps the blood in your torso as much as it can, but it kills your arms and legs. So your hands and feet turn black. Um, and so people who are on this for a prolonged period of time as I was, um, are in danger of not only having other problems, but of waking up to realize that they're gonna lose their hands and feet. So, in, so I'd had my left leg pretty much destroyed. Uh, and I can tell you about what that was like waking up to that. Um, I had every organ in my body fail. 
Um, and there was, they were wondering whether we'd need transplants or whatever. And um, as time went by, my uh, hands and feet were, were dying uh, while I was on life support for the better part of six weeks with my wife who's sitting next to me every single day um, and everybody hoping that I was gonna wake up. So that was a really deep, deep, deep pit to suddenly fall into for a guy like me who had never even been in a hospital, really. I'd never been sick. Um, you know, it didn't even occur to me that these sorts of things could happen. And I went from going a million miles an hour running this company, um, running around doing things, trying to get to the next stage, um, enjoying life and working and playing hard to just being in a very, as they say, deep, dark hole. Was this all happening in New York City or were you flown back to Canada for this part? Or when were you flown back, I guess? Well, this whole part that I just described to you happened in New York City. Um, so I largely uh, credit the, uh, uh, the doctors, uh, in particular one, uh, Dr. Reed Raven, uh, who stuck with me through this process for basically saving my life, um, and all the uh, specialists and uh, internal medicine people, infectious disease people um, that rallied around it. Um, and of course, the parade of medical students that they brought through my room, apparently, to study the case because it was so rare. Um, but I was there until I was stable enough to move. Uh, which was probably um, six or seven weeks in. So I'd been out of the coma for a good week or two at that point. Um, they had taken me off the ventilator. I was breathing on my own. <clears throat> my kidneys weren't working yet. But my liver function had returned. My heart uh, bounced back mercifully. Everybody was thrilled. Allegedly, I, I didn't have brain damage. Um, so uh, we still joke about that sometimes. Uh, but I couldn't move. Um, I had lost virtually all my muscle mass, uh, had just been eaten up in the process. Um, uh, I couldn't swallow properly, uh, you know, things like that. Um, and, uh, and my leg, uh, had been debrided to the point where it was all just exposed bone and muscle. And, uh, they were doing, uh, rather, uh, gruesome and painful dressing changes every morning that took about an hour to take all, to unpack it all and then repack it all. So I was stable about six, seven weeks in, and then they airlifted me to um, the Ross Tilly Burns Center at Sunnybrook Hospital, uh, which is where the second phase of my uh, story began. So did you have any amputations while in New York or you had your amputations here when you have come back? No, the amputations were all subsequent, which I think makes my journey um, interesting because I was very much a participant in those decisions. Um, uh, I was theoretically intact. My hands and feet were black um, and they were like stone. And there was sort of a, a, a prevailing thought that perhaps I'd be able to, to regain. And I, and I did regain a great deal um, of, of functionality uh, in them. Um, and most of the focus then was on, so what they shipped me back uh, to have the folks at Sunnybrook uh, basically do the reconstructive surgery and make all of the decisions on a go forward basis. Uh, I think, I guess I could have stayed in New York. It was very expensive. Uh, the insurance companies were really pushing to get me out of there. I was in an ICU there. That particular hospital wasn't fully qualified to do um, the kind of detailed reconstruction, skin grafts, muscle grafts. Um, I mean, there was, I needed a lot of work done. So none of that happened until I got to Sunnybrook. And at that point, the experience changed a great deal. 
just thinking when you said the cost. So you had that experience of the American healthcare cost and the Canadian healthcare cost. Maybe expand on that a little bit on, you know, without saying actual dollars of just that experience of having to go through insurance differently in both countries. Well, yeah, I'll, 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 sh- I'll share some figures because it's, it's fantastically interesting. So I needed a lot of procedures. I need a lot of CAT scans, a lot of MRIs, a lot of specialists, a lot of specialized drugs. So, you know, it's an ICU bed. I, I was on dialysis. I mean, I had the whole, I had the whole thing going. Um, I had multiple debridement surgeries. Um, so not including the airlift back to Canada, which cost 120,000 on its own. Um, it, it, the insurance company um, was sent bills for 1.7 million US, which is a big number. I'm making a wow face, everybody. Yeah, yeah. he's making a wow face. Away. And, uh, you know, what we weren't quite prepared for uh, was that the hospital and the insurance company don't immediately get along. There is sort of a, as I understand it, a bit of a negotiation that goes on. And so after 30 days or 90 days or something, when the insurance company didn't immediately pay the hospital, the hospital sent me a bill for $1.7 million to my house uh, with this sort of, well, you pay this and then, you know, uh, you, you chase your insurance company for reimbursement. Well, obviously we weren't going to fall for that. So for a good year uh, we had, uh, you know, us uh, bill collectors and, 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 and people like that harassing us for this sort of, uh, you know, insane amount of, of money for the average person. So, yeah, if you're going to get sick um, in the U.S., have great health insurance, which I did. And, um, and it, it did get sorted after the better part of a year. Uh, but, you know, it would be unimaginable uh, how life altering that, you know, that kind of, of bill would be uh, for folks who, let's say, didn't have good insurance or, or didn't have any insurance just travelers insurance, for instance. Right. I just t- can't imagine trying to recover at the same time of getting that billing. Now, on deciding on to having the amputation, was that a sort of last resort or was that recommended to you just for the pure quality of life? Or Because we always talk about saving the limb, right? Yeah. But for you, was that a choice that was right at the table for you or, or how was that approached with you? You know, it's, it's really interesting. I imagine everyone's journey through this is different. Um, it started small. Uh, I mean, when I, when I got to Sunnybrook, I mean, no one had ever used the word amputation in front of me before. No one had ever mentioned it. But, you know, my hands and feet were the wrong color. And, um, and you know, my, my leg looked like something from a horror movie. You know, I, I could kind of put two and two together. Truthfully, at that point, I was much more concerned about um, uh, getting my kidneys still weren't working and I couldn't actually move very well. And uh, I was incredibly weak and I had other, frankly, bigger fish to fry. So it, it, this amputation question for me was a fairly distant concern. Uh, the doctor still to some degree felt like I, I might still expire. I could still, I could still throw a clot and die. Um, and so, you know, my focus kind of was on surviving and on healing. And they, it was such a big pit to sort of wake up in. Um, I, I sort of took it on as, a, as sort of a, a mental challenge. It's like, just put one foot in front of the other, uh, you know, no pun intended, 
Um, just take, take small steps through this healing process. Just work on little things. Focus on thinking about healing, which is really all you can do. And so, you know, I actually spent hours and hours and hours a day because you got nothing else to do. Um, I never turned on the TV once or tried to use my phone. My fingers didn't work very well, so that wouldn't have worked great. So I didn't do any of that. I just sort of sat there and, and meditated on the questions of how do I heal the next thing, if you will. And I spent all my time thinking about that. They brought up to me uh, after a few days there that there would be amputations because they needed to start doing some of the reconstructive surgery. We had to start doing muscle flaps to cover areas where so much flesh had been gone. There was no healing to be done unless they could create a muscle surface and then eventually a skin graft. Um, it was going to be many surgeries, a long process, but realistically, um, the ends of my feet were going to have to come off because those weren't coming back. And my left hand, uh, my right hand had largely healed, albeit that I couldn't work it very well. My left hand was up for, uh, up for grabs, but that wasn't an immediate issue. They had to take um, uh, 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 my feet off from the metatarsals forward. So they mentioned that and... Uh, you know, I was like, well, of course you do. You know, there's no question. Go ahead. Uh, and then there was this talk of, well, they'll be, you know, will I be able to walk? And they're like, well, you know, at this point, I still have a leg that's so damaged. It's unsure whether it's ever going to function again and a knee that won't work because it's been it's been just debrided into ribbons. So, you know, I was kind of focusing on that. Uh, so for me, it started small. They had to take the um, uh, the ends of my feet. And, um, and they were working on trying to save the, save the leg. And we were gonna worry about my hand later to see how much of it I could actually get back and see how, 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 how much we'd have to take. And so that was an easy, it was hardly a decision. It needed to be done. There was no choice. Um, and then uh, we went through a lot of work to um, get skin grafts to, to cover this enormous part of my body all the way up the back of my thigh um, and, and all along my left leg, they had to move my soleus muscles from uh, the back of, of, of my um, uh, calf compartments to the front and then take these huge uh, sections of skin um, off of my thighs to try to get those things to go. Uh, we did allografts, which are uh, cadaver skin, and then autografts, which are my own skin, to try to get the combination to work. And then... Uh, get it healed up and try to get me standing. And this business of standing after you've been, as you know, in bed for a long time, this business of trying to bend a knee that hasn't, that hasn't been bent in weeks and has had so much surgery on it was uh, preoccupied me for weeks, if not months. So the real question of whether to amputate that leg or not, frankly, never really came up, everybody was pretty focused on the leg, on fixing it. I was in the burn unit, the Rosterly Burn Center at uh, Sunnybrook, which is this amazing operation of, of people who have been working together for years on really bad folks that have lost parts of their body, largely due to fire, but they'd seen neck fash cases before. And so they were really very focused on, you know, getting it to back to normal as quickly and easily as possible. The one person that I met early in the game that looked at me and, and suggested that it might not work out the way I wanted it to was Dr. Mayo, who, uh, who both you and I, I think, know. And Dr. Yeah. Mayo sort of looked at this thing and went, yeah, well, you know, you might decide uh, 
that's going to have to come off later. And I remember thinking to myself, because I'd already had like 14 surgeries on my leg to try to save it. And I'm like, really? You're in here telling me that I'm going to have to take the leg off? She's like, well, we'll see. You know, <laughs> she was sort of, she, she sort of smiled when she said it. And she was right. Um, fast, I got back on my feet. I started to learn how to walk again. I, uh, I started to deal with, you know, with the healing. Um, I wound up at St. John's. They did some great work with me, um, trying to get me strong. But I was coming back from all kinds of other problems. You know, I couldn't, my hands were so weak, I couldn't open a jar. You know, I couldn't sit up. Like I had, I had these major hurdles. I remember when I took one step, then two, then three, then 10. I mean, and, you know, the, the reward for doing this would be to throw up and pass out and then try it again in a couple of hours. I mean, it's rehab was just, it's a shocking amount of work. It's not like it is on TV where it's like a workout montage and then you can go fight ninjas or something. It, it doesn't work like that, as you know. It's a, it's a long process. So yeah, man, I, uh, by the time we got uh, a few months into it, uh, at this point I'd already gone home and I was adjusting to life and we were trying to figure out how to get a situation going. I could walk sort of on crutches, but it was painful, it was difficult. And uh, I, uh, I looked at my wife one day and I said, you know, the technology is only getting better. This leg, they did a great job on it, but it's only gonna get worse as I get older. Um, I'm in constant pain. And uh, I think it's the kind of pain that changes who you are, which is not something that I wanted to experience. I was incredibly grateful for everything that had happened to me, all the good decisions that happened, the doctors. I was incredibly grateful for the strength of my wife, my children, the fantastic people that I'd met. And I was incredibly grateful that I was still me and that I hadn't somehow been altered mentally by the process, at least that's the way I felt. And I was happy, but I was like, this pain thing, this is not good. This is the kind of thing that changes who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, never mind the fact that we had a pretty good bone infection cooking, which you and I talked about as well. And, you know, spending a year on, uh, on, you know, uh, IV antibiotics didn't seem like the right thing. And so I was just like, I went back to my surgeons, Dr. Rogers and Dr. Cartado. And with Dr. Mayo's sort of support and, uh, and my GP support, I was like, let's, sorry guys, let's, uh, let's take the leg off. And, uh, and so we did. So what was the, so again, at the time you, you, you talked about your two young kids and the family and, and you and I have talked about having an active lifestyle Yeah. and, and I'm glad that you brought up the whole, you know, the pain factor and how that changes people. I, I felt I had a total 360 after my application as well in who I am as a person. What was the uh, mental preparation for you then to, to come to terms and saying, I think I want to do this? How was it talk with, with the family? How was it talk with, with, with friends or that you have shared this, that you wanted to do this? And, and what were your goals that outweighed not having, not having to do it, not having to have the application? Wow. Those are all such great questions. Um, I, I, I think it started for me with, with, I was coming from a position again, where, where um, I found myself mercifully in a, in a, in a state of gratitude for the most part. And I know that sounds funny, but I think it's a real thing. I think it's a good way to exist is to be, you know, grateful for things that you have to, to be very aware of the things that you have. 
And, you know, I'd already had the, the, the loss of, of, you know, um, parts of my feet. And at this point I've lost a couple of fingers. And I remember a time when, you know, I would have said to myself that the worst thing that I can possibly imagine happening to me was an amputation. I remember having those thoughts when I was younger, people sometimes contemplate these, these things, you know, what, what could you handle? And I always said to myself, man, I, I couldn't even handle losing a finger. I would feel like pieces of me were gone, but somehow I didn't actually feel that way anymore. Um, I'd had these, you know, smaller amputations. I'd sort of recovered to the degree that I could recover and I didn't feel um, diminished um, at all. And uh, I thought to myself, you know what? It's not me, it's just a leg. Uh, and that was the position I started with. And I, and I sat with my wife and I said, look, I, I wanna do this. And she, she just, she was still having PTSD from having been, it was much harder for her than it was for me. I was in a coma for parts of this. She was awake. She had to deal with all that uncertainty day after day after day. And I felt genuinely bad for putting, she, she just didn't like the idea that I'd go through one more, um, you know, big set of, of, of procedures, a big procedure. Well, we talked about it a great deal. And, um, and I talked about the next 20 or 30 or 40 years of my life hopefully, and what that was going to be like and what my goals were. Um, uh, like yourself, I'm fairly active. You know, uh, I, uh, prior to this, my, my big hobby was, was Muay Thai boxing, um, you know, uh, and, uh, and I like to run and I like to ski and, and I wanted to play basketball with my son. He was just getting into it. And, and, you know, I needed the performance out of it. And, 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 bigger part of who I was, was the things that I did every day, having energy, um, being able to hop up and run around and do stuff and, and, and move like a young person. These were things that I identified with that I wanted back. I wanted my agility back. And I decided, you know, I'm a technology guy. I decided that I'd bet on the tech, frankly. And that was the story that I took to all the constituents, to the doctors, to, to everybody else um with you know this is who i am it's not about the idea of having a leg or not a leg i'll own it um you know it's about what i can do and there was it, even though there's some uncertainty around look if i take the leg will the pain go away if i take the leg will i really be able to run or do things and of course you see people on youtube you know running marathons and doing backflips and climbing mountains with with you know with prosthesis but everybody's story is different. Everybody's situation is different. Um, my leg was a mess. It was unclear if, if we could even form a good uh, residual limb um, out of all of that. Um, and so there were a lot of questions uh, yet to be answered. But I was confident that I would rather fight that battle than try to work on what I had, which I saw as a slowly, slowly losing battle, holding on to a limb that was no longer part of my life. And that I no longer identified with. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I was going to ask you this question because I think you and I are in the same in that we made a decision where some people are not lucky enough to make that decision for themselves yeah. and have that calculated. For my and I always talk about and and I want to go back as well to your to your gratitude part. I think that's important. I also live in in, in, in gratitude. I don't look at things as regrets. I think. When we live that way, we get trapped into that mindset of, if I didn't do this, maybe this wouldn't have happened to me. Instead, what I do is I'm thankful 
that things happen the way they are because I wouldn't be where I am had those things not happened. It's just a, it's a weird way of looking at things. And, and I don't know if that makes sense to a lot of people or maybe to even to you. But for me, it does, because then I move forward with that. Um, for you, what was that like on that, you know, that waking moment when you're slightly groggy and you look down and the leg isn't there anymore? Or, it, you know, to your point, you've had other surgeries prior to that um, where they've amputated your finger. So was it more this? It's just another thing gone. Yeah. I think you described it well. Um, I, I, I came to um, and I was relieved that it was gone. And, uh, um, and I was happy about it. Um, and uh, I was looking forward to the next day. I was looking forward to everything I was going to get to do. I was looking forward to getting up on crutches and learning to hop around. And uh, man, those crutches seem high after you lose a leg. You know, like you, th you think it's not going to be a thing, but you know, you feel like you're falling off a ladder. You're so you're so far up, and you know, if you land on um, on your residual limb, it's gonna it's gonna hurt. So uh, that's a that's a hell of a thing. But yeah, I was um, I was almost giddy with excitement, and my whole goal at that point was just like, all right, how fast can we recover from this? How fast can we start to get back? And then uh, that was when I became a giant pain in the rear to all my doctors because you know, of course, I wanted my prosthetics cast the next day and I wanted to be you know and you know you have no idea how many stages and steps of even getting getting a prosthetic working properly and how long it's going to take and people try to slow you down and mitigate your expectations but I I refuse to be I know you're the same I, I refuse to to you know to slow down and uh and it it was coming from a place of genuine enthusiasm for embracing the the new me i used to call it mark 2.0 uh with uh with my family you know and uh my kids thought it was cool that i was going to have these sort of mechanical parts um uh, they thought that was neat uh and uh you know what can i say you know you you start to own the new you and then you can't wait to get on with it so it was i have no bad memories uh from that part and i I say this with the greatest respect for folks who who experienced more psychological trauma than than I did, and I know what I can imagine what that feels like. But it it didn't really. By the time I got there, I was all good. Um, I was ready to go, and I thought I can't do this. I mean, I can't just give it five or or ten years to see how it turns out. I'd, I'm not that guy. Um, I'd rather just deal with it now. And, uh, and again, you know, I, I, I credit, credit you with offering me this perspective because you just can't find information about stuff like this. You can't read about it. I mean, you can read papers and things. And there's a few sort of, you know, at the time I, I, I really wasn't in the community. So it was hard to talk to people who were really seeking to return to a full life, maybe even be better than what, the, than what they were. You know, and that was kind of my thought. It's like, how, how do I use this to make myself better than, than who I was? Um, and so, you know, meeting you when I did, I, I think it was, it was, it really turned me on to all the different ways that I could, I could go forward. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have been uh, helping that. But so then how was your experience putting your, you know, what was that like for you then? What was the experience like of putting that first, you know, socket on it and walking on your prosthetic? I know the funny thing is um, it, it felt like it took forever to get to that stage. 
Um, Doesn't it though? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. And, and I remember, you know, we had to shut, they had to shut down the prosthetics lab over Christmas and, and stuff was taking forever to get here from the States. And my challenge was that um, my residual limb was, was really messed up. It was not a good shape. Um, we needed a heavily, heavily customized setup uh, to even, even get me up on, on an initial uh, prosthetic limb. Um, most significantly, um, I needed a, a, a custom liner. And with that, I'd have to customize the suspension system, which of course I knew nothing about. I mean, you know, it's so hard to get folks to explain to you what all the different suspension systems are, what these liners are, how these sockets work. Um, you know, it's sort of a mystery and no one quite, no one's quite sure how much or how little to tell you, uh, based on where you're at. It's, it's so funny. You can tell folks aren't telling you everything. And you're trying to figure out a, a better question to ask, but you're not sure. And so the liner was a big deal because um, my my whole my residual limb is all skin grafts and muscle grafts, and a knee that's been largely rebuilt. And it's a miracle that the knee even worked. So you know we were we were starting from this point, and you know uh, putting the leg on for the first time, sliding into it, standing up. I, uh, I thought I'd be able to walk around or something. Um, I've been fooling around at one of those knee walkers for a while, which was, which has pros and cons to it, as you know, but I was getting around just fine, but this thing hurt. I mean, it hurt like hell. I stood up and, and, and it was incredibly painful. All the pressure points going in the wrong place. I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to do this? Um, this really hurts. Of course, you know, lots of subsequent work on the tuning of the sockets and on all the other sorts of things got that down to a tolerable level. But my first thought was, great, I'm standing. My second thought was, oh my God, this hurts like hell. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> After all this waiting. <laughs> right. And then you're like, how am I going to do everything now? If every step I take, you know, I planned on on running and I planned on doing this and now it hurts every time I take a step, but I think what people need to realize. I, I thought I could just jog <laughs> home or something or, or, you know, whatever. Right. You know, and, and, and it's funny cause you're, you're pretty far away from that. And then, you know, they do things like they won't let you take your limb home because they're worried that you're going to you know fall down the stairs with it or something. And, but, and you're like, Oh, come on, you've got to be kidding. Um, I right. can handle this. I can, you know, I I've been hopping around uh, for the last number of months you know, I'm strong, I can handle it. But, you know, I, I think they were right. You know, you had to go through the rehab twice a week and learn how to do all these things. And, and they really need to make sure you're not going to go home and kill yourself on this thing. And that was frustrating and waiting for that because that took whatever. I think I was only about a month or something and some folks take longer and they finally just succumbed to my endless demands to be able to take my now much better fitting leg uh, home with me and and spend more time with it. That's what I want to do. I want it to be in the leg as much as possible. And because being in it for 20 minutes at a time or 40 minutes at a time, and it just wasn't enough. I wanted to go faster. Right. And, and I think that's an important thing for, for new everything to understand is that everyone goes through a different journey. Everything goes yeah. through a different timeline with things. And even though you're, if you feel that you're in it on your definitive socket, that also changes depending on where you are with your life as well whether you're, you know, you're taking more of a retired, slow down life, or you continue to be active if, you know, and getting more active later on and, and your socket will change and your 
you need for your prosthesis changes depending on your lifestyle. So just make sure, you know, just, uh, just that timeline is always different for everybody. I think what you're saying uh, rings true. Um, I suspect we don't talk enough about the psychology um, uh, of it. Uh, not, most people talk and write about the immediate post-amputation psychology, but there's a lot to it in the, um, even a year later, two years later, and I imagine, imagine going on. For me, the biggest frustration was sort of the things that you said. You don't realize how finely tuned these, um, uh, uh, you, you know, this technology, these, these prostheses need to be. And, and even small changes in your body, um, you know, even on a daily basis can, can have it go from it being working to it being something that's physically damaging you um, in a way that might take weeks to heal. And the, the psychology of, of taking again, not to use a pun, but two steps forward, one step back constantly. There's not a linear uh, progression at all. There's always something going wrong. You know, you go three weeks and like, I'm at that stage now, I go three weeks with my definitive socket and I feel great. And then for some reason, I'll just go through a week of hell. Everything hurts. All of a sudden I'm getting blisters. I'm like, oh my God, why are we back to this again? Um, what is, you know, what I had plans this week. What, what, what is going on here? What did I do? And there's no answer. Uh, it, it just is. And then, you know, you have to start sleuthing and you got to get good at that. All right. It hurts. That's doing a thing. What is it? Did I lose some volume? Do I need to put a pad here? Why does it suddenly feel so loose? Why am I getting that pain on, 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 you know, the end of my fibula again? Um, and these old pains that you thought you'd gotten past from early in your healing process suddenly start to return. And it's incredibly frustrating. It's psychologically traumatic to have to go back to that stuff, but you just got to recognize it'll pass. You'll get your way through it. You'll solve those little details. It's a small, dumb little thing. You'll work with your prosthetist on it. I think we had to be invested in understanding how our prosthesis work. I explain that all the time. And I, and I tell people that, you know, not to the extent of loosening bolts and stuff, but understanding, because I think a lot of times the barriers for new amputees especially is they think with the, when they get their socket, that, that, that that's it, that that's the final, yeah. um, you know? And so as soon as it, something hurts, they don't know how to advocate for themselves and they don't know that to say, this hurts, help me fix it. And so I think it's important to investigate and to your point, you know, sleuth around and really understand wearing prosthesis is, is about and, and what prosthesis is about and the actual care around being an amputee so that you can advocate for yourself and know how to speak to the terms of pain and pressure and what's comfortable, what's not comfortable and what's right and not right for your body. I completely agree. Um, I decided early that I was going to be that guy that wears his prosthetic all day. Um, and, and I do, I, uh, I, you know, I don it first thing in the morning and uh, except for a couple of self checks here and there, I basically uh, have it on until I go to bed. Um, and, you know, this actually surprises uh, a lot of my, my recovery team because, you know, usually at my stage, people might have it on for four or five hours a day or something. And I'm like, no, it's on the whole damn day. Um, and uh, and oh, I got in that mindset that it needed to be comfortable and functional all day. And I was going to wear it all day and I'm going to figure out and hunt down every little thing that's not working right, rather than succumb to the temptation to simply take it off 
mm-hmm. and 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 live in some kind of weird in between place. Uh, and I didn't want to be that that guy. And and so I don't know whether I was just lucky or whether that kind of commitment to it was was helpful in my recovery um, or 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 what have you. Because I did I didn't have a straightforward amputation. Didn't have a straightforward residual limb. There were problems. Um, you know, grafted skin is not good skin. It comes apart really easily. It breaks down really easily. Uh, infections happen, everything else. And mercifully, as we stand here today, everything looks great and works great. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I went skiing last week for the first time since I, since I amputated my leg and all right, it's a little different than it was, but I, I actually skied. Um, and I didn't wind up hurting myself or, uh, or tearing apart my limb. So, you know, that's a big check in the box for me. And I like breaking through those barriers. If we can, I find that I find those challenges intriguing and fun at this point. Right. And it's just, I, I, again, people kind of say, Oh, I'm never going to do that. And to your point, like you went skiing and you just found out you had to find an adaptive way for you, for your new you and your new body to enjoy that activity. Yeah. It's not easy. It wasn't pretty. Um, I wasn't proud of my skiing, but, um, but you know what, there's a way to figure it out. Um, your brain will figure it out and, and you just got to give yourself a chance for your brain to adjust. And sometimes that takes hours or weeks or days or months, but your brain will figure it out. People have recovered from worse things than what I recovered from. And, uh, and, you know, again, you know, it sounds funny, but, you know, I'm amazingly grateful. Um, and I don't know if, if this is a, sinful thing to say or not, but I'm not sure I would change anything. Um, not that we have time machines or magic wands, but even if such a thing existed, I'm not sure I would change anything. This is who I am now. Um, I'm good with who I am. I'm intrigued with this as part of my journey, the whole experience, the near, the near death, the loss, everything else. It's all part of me now. And, um, and I don't mind that it's part of me. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I, you know, Again, I, I, I want to say with the greatest respect for people who've suffered terrible things that they've had difficulty coming back from, but I, um, I, uh, I view this as a largely positive experience. Is, if there is one thing that you would leave or you want people to take away from your story, what would that be? Um, well, um, it's amazing what you can achieve when you're tested, when you're truly tested um, by life, the universe, whatever it is. Some of these things aren't things I ever thought would happen to me. And they were the types of things I assumed would defeat me in some level or another. And they, and they really didn't. And uh, a lot more, it's, it's amazing how much the right attitude can help. And that has to do with having the right people around you and thinking about things the right way and concentrating on your own healing the right way. Um, this process is way more mental than it was physical. And I know that sounds, you know, goofy, uh, but it really is. And I guess that's why I found such an affirming thing. It's like, wow, it's amazing what the human brain can do if it really wants to. It is just amazing. And um, I was also very impressed with how many people, if you find them, really care virtual complete strangers who, who want to help you with your journey. If you can find them, they're there, they're experienced, um, whether it's, it's, it's other amputees or, or, uh, or prosthetists or healthcare professionals. It's amazing how much, 
how many people just want to get you back to normal and are that committed to getting you there? Why wouldn't you pick up on that and just go with it? Uh, so I was surprised, pleased, and shocked by all of these realizations. That's great. Now, what are you keeping yourself busy with these days? Well, work keeps me pretty busy. Um, I work with a lot of companies now, um, just in the process of trying to get sort of a main, a main new company off the ground, which hopefully I'll be able to talk about, you know, shortly. I, uh, I enjoy time with my family. COVID was an interesting thing because it hit me literally after I got my first limb. So, uh, you know, after about, I think I was in rehab for a couple of months with the, with the leg and then COVID hit, it really slowed things down. Uh, at a time in my life where I think I, I was grateful to have that time with my family back. Because prior to this, I was busy. I was putting in the huge hours. I was never home, you know, uh, and, uh, and so it's been great to be home. And um, honestly, I, I spend time with my kids. I cook and, uh, and I work and I work out. I've got a gym in my basement. It's become pretty elaborate. And uh, I work out twice a day. Uh, because it helps stave off some pain because uh, it makes me feel good. Uh, keeps my head where I want it to be. And, you know, if I have to do that for the rest of my life and then, then so be it. So it's like a hobby now trying to figure out if I can, how fit I can be or how strong I can be or how out of pain I can, I can be. It's a daily, I don't know, obsession is the wrong word. So I'm, I'm going with hobby. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that sounds good. So where can people find more about you and, 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 the works that you're doing? Sure. Well, you know, um, uh, for those people who are on LinkedIn, I'm pretty easy to get to on LinkedIn. It's uh, last name is O-P-A-U-S-Z-K-Y. Um, I'm the only one. I'm easy to find. I have a, um, a blog. It's a business blog. So if you're not into business blog, you'll find it horribly um, uh, boring. But if you're into business and in the tech business, it, people seem to like it. It's uh, uh, opowski.com, O-P-A-U-S-Z-K-Y.com. Um, so you can, people can reach out to me on, you know, on either one of those places if they want to talk. I had thought about starting to write more and publish more on my experience, um, but I realized that uh, folks like yourself, Todd, are doing a much bigger and broader and better job of it. So I'd rather just contribute through that in any way that I can that, that's helpful to people. So um, I'm happy to talk to anybody. But, you know, mostly I'm just interested in, in helping them connect with other folks that, um, uh, that have been through similar things and, and see if that helps. Great. Well, again, you know, it's, it's, it's great having you here and, and sharing your journey. I want to thank Mark Bosky for joining me today. I will share the links on my website at www.airsaltomino.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Empire Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been the MTO Show Podcast. <laughs>